You're listening to the Fertility Docs Uncensored Podcast, featuring insight on all things fertility from some of the top-rated doctors around America. Whether you're struggling to conceive or just planning for your future family, we're here to guide you every step of the way. Hi, everybody. We're back with another episode of Fertility Docs Uncensored. I'm one of the hosts, Dr. Abby Eblen from Nashville Fertility Center. And today I'm also joined by my partners in crime, Dr. Susan Hudson from Texas Fertility Center and Dr. Carrie Bedient from the Fertility Center of Las Vegas. Hope you guys are all doing well. Hey, y'all. Hi. How's it going? What have you guys been up to lately? I'm packing. Packing? What are you packing for? I'm going on a trip. Awesome. We are going on a little bitty vacation. We're trying to, you know, be safe but sane in this time of COVID-19. So, um, so are you flying or driving? We are driving. I can tell you my preferred method of transport is not driving. <laughs> I would much rather be flying. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Actually, great story. Um, a, a number of years ago, um, I guess this was probably, well, almost eh, six or seven years ago now, um, we were going to, take a trip down to Fort Myers, Florida. And I had just opened up my own practice. And I was like, I got to be, be at my practice as much as possible. So I don't want any like extra traveling days. But my husband is a bit frugal. And so <laughs> he decided that it would be better for him to drive him and the kids down to Fort Myers, Florida. And I would fly and meet them. It was the Best vacation. Ever. I was going to say, that sounds like a that great, sounds... that's my favorite kind of vacation when I can just fly and meet the rest of the family. Like, I can just meet you there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was really good. So, but we're, we're not doing that. We're, we're driving, we're driving to Florida, not so far this time. We're just going to the panhandle. So, renting a house, chilling out. So, what are you going to do when you have to stop for bathroom breaks? Are you going to go into rest stops? Or are you going to pee on the side of the road because rest stops at baseline are sketchy? And right now, whenever I think of a rest stop, all I see is a teeming pile of bacteria. Oh, yeah. No, I don't like either of those. So kind of one of my secrets is like, I would rather stop at like, and I know people don't necessarily like being at hotels and stuff like this, but like they're like super duper paranoid about being clean. And so... I would rather like if I'm especially if I'm traveling by myself, I'd rather like stop at a like a hotel and I'll go in and use like a hotel restroom where it's like secure and not like icky grungy. However, in Texas, we have these amazing gas stations called Bucky's. Okay. Oh, wow. And I, I am Bucky's. not joking. It is when you guys come to visit me in Texas, we're going to have to go to Bucky's. It is the biggest gas station you've ever seen. Okay. Like, wait, 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 wait. We're taking a trip to see you in Texas and we're going to go to a gas station. Bucky's. Bucky's the gas station. I am telling you, it is, it's crazy. Okay. So when Bucky's built um, their place in New Braunfels, like they had to get a special permit because they needed um, to, I mean, I think there's like 120, um, Tank, uh, tanks, is that what they're called? Where you fill up your gas? Yeah. yeah so there's sure. like, there's a bajillion of them, but you go in the store and it's got like candles and shirts and gourmet food 
and oh, wow. like we need granite, some of those in Tennessee. Fancy things. Oh my goodness, it's amazing. So this wow. gas station was um, built by this guy who was a single dad. And so kind of on the whole like restroom, <laughs> there actually is logic in this conversation. So he... he <laughs> this wasn't um, the way I thought the conversation was going to go when we started out. <laughs> <laughs> so he um, decided to build these gas stations that had the cleanest restrooms in the world. And like, they've gotten all these awards and like crazy stuff, but they really are like the most amazing restrooms, like pristine, clean. I've never been, I mean, seriously, it's cleaner than my bathroom. I mean, it is just amazing. (laughs) And like, you go and see it. I have friends from Denmark and when they came down, they came and saw us. I have a rep who is from New York. And when he, when she comes down, um, she's like, Oh, Bucky's. I mean, it's so hilarious. I mean, people, Bucky is a little, um, it's a squirrel. Yeah. I think it's a squirrel. (laughs) So are they going there and super excited because they can buy little granite shaped doodads or because they could eat their snack off the bathroom floor? Both. I mean, like it's packed. It's absolutely insane it's like it's like going to like don't want to go there if it's packed susan (laughs) oh but it's clean (laughs) (laughs) just don't breathe when you go there but you can eat your food off the floor exactly (laughs) exactly just hold your breath so carrie how about you are there any buckies over your way there are definitely no buckies although (gasps) bucky is a beaver i was wrong please correct myself not a squirrel. He's a beaver. Glad for that clarification. <laughs> I didn't think that they had beavers in Texas. I thought that was a more northern type of thing. And he's Bucky the beaver. I'm telling you, I, I'm going to send y'all t-shirts. We will wait with bated breath for our I'm next for pod- <laughs> podcast. Oh. We will all wear uh, beaver shirts and hats. And is it really okay for gynecologists to wear beaver paraphernalia? Like, is that a little too on the no. nose? Yeah. <laughs> no. Not good. I mean, yeah, like normally I, I'm okay with doing the occasional tacky thing. They have wine glasses. Shaped like a beaver. With little Bucky beavers on them. <laughs> I'm serious. But do they sell the wine to go with it? Because they that's what do. parents need at a, at a gas station in the middle of a they road They have trip. wine. They have white claws. <laughs> Man. You're set. It sounds like a destination spot almost. Who needs to go on vacation when you can just go to Bucky's? I'm telling you, it's called a gastination. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Carrie, you're going on vacation, I hear, soon as well, right? So we are. We are going to Southern California because it's a quick five-hour jaunt away. Nice. And <laughs> there is nothing between here and Southern California. Uh, like until you hit hit the metropolis um, that's, you know, an hour or two in that is just starts the constancy of, is that even a word, Um, of towns, cities, you know, everything that's there. There's there's nothing, yeah, as we get closer to La Jolla. Um, and we're, we're trying to do the same thing, like stay away from everyone, really stare at a different set of four walls, which I will be very grateful for. Um, but, you know, we will, we will not pass anything as fascinating as Bucky's. We, we will pass the solar panel fields um, that look like lakes out in the middle of the desert, but are really more like mirages because you've got all of these essentially mirrored panels in the middle of nowhere that just radiate heat and you see the gorgeous rays of sunshine coming down and 
Um, it's just, it's so tempting to take a whole two dozen thing of Costco eggs and just break them all out there and watch them fry. Oh, wow. Uh, That'd be interesting. But I'm sure we can never get close enough, nor do you want to stop out there because you'll, you will fry out there. Um, but, but yeah, we're going to go stare at a different set of four walls for a couple of days. And, and I am very grateful because I, I don't think I've had any time off in, a really long time. Like we were. It's really hard to tell what time it is in COVID land, you know? It's hard. Yeah. Here we are almost in August already. It's hard to believe. I mean, if I you think about it, that's like, you know, we, we started doing this back in February. So yeah. March, April, May, June. And we actually flew out to Las Vegas, Susan. Remember? We actually flew in an airplane. I can't remember. I can't remember how that works. In five months. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. Nuts. To, uh, I mean, it was completely inconceivable. So, life mm. has changed. Well, today we're going to talk about PCOS. That's a common condition that I think we all see many patients that, that have that condition, and that's a common cause for infertility. And so, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And, Susan, why don't you start out and just tell our listeners kind of how do you define PCOS? You know, a lot of times I'll see patients and they'll be like, well, I've read about it and I think I have it, but but how do you really know that you have PCOS? So that's actually a more complicated question <laughs> than it really seems on the surface. Because if you get like a room full of reproductive endocrinologists together, you're going to have a few different opinions. Well, um, talk, talk about the criteria that we actually have. And, and I'm sorry, I should have said- First say what it means. What does PCOS stand for? PCOS stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which I tell my patients is a terribly named condition because a cyst is something on your ovary that's greater than two centimeters and it's not supposed to be there. And what people with polycystic ovarian syndrome actually have is they have many follicles, little small fluid collections that contain their eggs that are all kind of in this resting state at the same time. And um, so I think it should be polyfollicular ovarian syndrome, but that's my two cents. But telling someone they are PFOS is not going to go over well. <laughs> okay, I hadn't thought of it that way. <laughs> How could you not think of it that way? That's what we have you here for, Carrie. <laughs> well, and, you know, I think sometimes two patients think that cysts are bad. And I usually say there's good cysts and there's bad cysts. And so these... These little cysts are good cysts, right? Exactly, exactly. And so um, essentially, um, the way I think of polycystic ovarian syndrome is, first of all, it's a diagnosis of exclusion. So there are things that we have to rule out, but we'll get to that. The things that you should have, and you don't have to have all of these. Um, generally, the, most people think you need to have two of three of these conditions. Um, one, ovaries that appear polycystic on ultrasound. Two, having irregular periods or something we call oligomenorrhea. Okay. And three, having some signs of what we call hyperandrogenism. So 
too much of kind of the quote male type hormones. Now, all women have male type hormones, all men have female type hormones. It's proportions. And so when we talk about those things, sometimes it's blood tests like testosterone level or something called DHEAS. And I'm sure we can get into talking about all those details in a few minutes or things like too much hair growth, acne, that type of thing. What are your thoughts, Carrie? Anything you want to add to that? So I don't know that there's a huge amount that I want to add to that other than maybe talking about the hormone levels because there's when you're looking at the the male hormone levels, the testosterone and, and similar ones, there's, there's really two ways that you can look at it. And it's called hyperandrogenism. And one way is just a straight lab test. Draw blood. Do they have a higher than average level of testosterone? But you can also look at it by what is being expressed. And so sometimes women will look at me and they'll say, well, my levels were all normal. What do you mean? And, and then we'll have to go back and say, well, but you told me that you have you know, acne all the time and you have hair growth where you don't want it, upper lip, chin, chest, back, places where if left unchecked, you start to rival your male partners. And, <laughs> and sometimes sometimes that's an exaggeration, but sometimes it's really not. And, and so that's something that, number one, we always have to ask our patients about really carefully because you never want to tick somebody off and say, oh, how's your mustache growing? That's, that's rude and that is not the point. Um, but as technology has gotten better and better for removing hair, you also have to ask, hey, did you ever feel the need like you really needed to remove a lot of hair from your face, chest, back, those types of places? Well, and I think the other thing too that we want to point out is that it's all relative. So, you know, mm-hmm. if you look at your mother and your sister and your aunt and they have sort of the same kind of symptoms and they have regular cycles, then maybe it's not PCOS or maybe it's a variant. Um, but if, you know, if you're unique in your family and there's, in, in some families of people have less hair than others. And so even if you don't have much hair in your family and you have a few hairs on your chin, that may for you be counted as, you know, excessive hair growth for your genetics, for your family. Um, And and people sometimes ask, well, how can I have a totally normal level and see more more of the hair growth or more of the acne or more of the whatever. And, um, and there's more than one type of androgen out there, male type of hormone. So testosterone can get converted to DHT, which is a much, much stronger test, uh, type of androgen. And that enzyme- And what's an androgen, carry? The male type hormone. It's the general class of everything. And so- Keep her um, honest, Susan. <laughs> Talking all that doctor like, language there. <laughs> um, normally that's not the language I get scolded for using. Um, so we won't ask about that. When you're looking at the, the male hormones, you know, DHT is really much more powerful, but there's more localized levels within the skin. And so you can have a normal testosterone. And if you happen to have a more active enzyme and it's showing up more and converting more in your skin, you can have a much more pronounced reaction, even though your levels are normal. And similarly, there's something called sex hormone binding globulin, which does exactly what it sounds. It is a binding hormone. And when you have that hormone, what it does is it it gloms onto steroids and testosterone is a type of steroid. And so if you have a lot of that, then it goes around in skitters and 
Pac-Man's up and chomps up the the testosterone that's free and it holds on to it. And when it's holding on to it, that testosterone isn't as active compared to free testosterone that's running around. So if your hormone, your binding hormone levels are lower, that free testosterone is running around and it can have more, more of an effect. Man, you sound like a general endocrinologist, Carrie. I'm really impressed by all that. <laughs> That's a lot of <laughs> lot of cool information. You know, one thing I was just going to say, sort of the clinical application is, you know, if you're somebody that's been diagnosed with PCOS, you know, if you're not trying to get pregnant, then you want to treat those symptoms of hair growth problems and irregular periods and, um, you know, kind of kind of straighten out your skin and that sort of thing. And so birth control pills work really effectively because essentially what they do is they stop the production of testosterone from the ovary and they also increase sex hormone binding globulin. So it decreases the circulating amount of male hormone that you have and essentially helps decrease your symptoms. And there's another hormone or another um, drug around that basically prevents you from producing um, hair cells in the skin, and that's called spironolactone. And that's a great drug. It's a really old drug, but it's a really great drug for people who are not trying to get pregnant that have hair growth problems. But if you are trying to get pregnant, it's not a good drug to be on because it can interrupt the production of male hormone. And if you're pregnant and you're carrying a male fetus, that can be a problem. So one thing I talk to my patients about kind of along this line is that if you come to me and you're like, okay, I have PCOS, I want you to fix me, okay, that we really have to decide, are we going along the path of not getting pregnant this moment or towards getting pregnant? Because PCOS is one of those kind of unique conditions that you, you really, really do have to draw your line in the sand because almost everything we do in the, like, we're not focusing on baby route is very anti-baby. <laughs> like birth so, control pills, that's anti-baby, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, birth control pills, spironolactone, all those types of things are, are things that really, um, you know, if, you're, if you are sexually active, we need to be preventing pregnancy because we want to protect the baby. And versus if we're focusing on getting pregnant, Sometimes we can't necessarily have things like acne and hirsutism, the fancy medical word with for too much hair. Sometimes we may not focus Dang, on that yourself. quite as much. I know, I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it's that's it's important for patients to under know uh, under <laughs> under know um, understand that we're not necessarily ignoring one side or the other. It's just unfortunately we have to focus on one of those two paths for the most part. And I want to ask you a question, Susan, because patients come to me a lot and they'll say, well, you know, I really don't want to get pregnant just yet until you kind of uh, like tune me up and fix my PCOS. So can you do that? Can you fix PCOS and get, get everybody ready to go for pregnancy? So um, yes and no. Okay. So the way that I explain this is PCOS is the way you are wired. Okay. I have red hair. There are some very special, unique things about me because I have red hair. It is, it is part of who I am. PCOS is the same thing. Now, there are things that we can manage. There are things we can manipulate. There are things we can do to get your body in the best condition we can to carry a pregnancy, but we can't, quote, fix or make it go away 
for the most part, without some relatively extraordinary means that we don't do very often anymore. And will pregnancy fix PCOS? No, but eventually time will. (laughs) (laughs) Time time fixes all things and time will fix PCOS because sooner or later, all those eggs that are starting, that are causing all those issues, (laughs) they will go away. And whereas many women dread that. Sometimes women with PCOS are like, yeah, I can live with this. I'm, I'm good with this. I, I can say I, I, so, some of the people that make me the most anxious about ovarian reserve are people who come in and tell me that like, they've always had irregular periods and they're coming to see me usually when they're, we're having this conversation, they're late 30s, early 40s. And they're so excited because they're like, I've never had irregular periods. And in the last year, I've been like clockwork. And I'm like, yay! Mm. Like they, they've yeah. reached this quantity of eggs that now things are going the way that it does for everybody else. But that doesn't necessarily mean good things for ovarian reserve. Sometimes when patients come to me and they say, well, can you fix this or can you optimize this before I get pregnant? Sort of along the lines of what you said, Susan, I usually say, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You have all the right parts. You have eggs in your ovaries. You have a uterus. You have hormones that are secreted from the brain that signal the ovaries. But the problem is your your brain's a little lazy. It just doesn't produce the right amount of hormone at the right time to kind of grow the eggs. And so essentially most of the, the treatments, which maybe we'll shift gears and talk a little bit about that, most of the treatments are geared toward having the brain produce the hormone FSH or follicle stimulating hormone. And essentially it's almost like um, if you think of your eggs as seeds in the soil, it's kind of like the water and the sunshine that the, that the seeds need to grow. So we, the goal is to try and get you to produce those hormones um, to help the eggs grow and help them mature. And, um, you know, there's probably several hormones that people have heard of before or several treatments. One is Clomid. Carrie, tell us about Clomid. How does that work? So Clomid is a pill and typically it's given for five days early on in the cycle because you want to kind of catch the eggs as they're beginning to grow. And what Clomid does is it's a selective estrogen receptor modulator. And so it tricks the estrogen receptors in the brain into thinking that there's no estrogen there, which is important in PCOS because um, because oftentimes there's just slightly higher levels, like just high enough to trigger not quite the increase in FSH that you need to grow the egg, but just enough to put a block on the whole thing. And so what it does is it tricks the brain into thinking that there's no estrogen being produced and and the brain really better ramp up making that FSH. So the FSH level increases and as a result, the ovary gets the stimulation it needs to really grow a big follicle or two or three. Um, and so that's how Clomid works. And that's a little bit different than letrozole, which is it's... Uh, I call it a sister medication because they work somewhat similarly. Um, and, and letrozole is actually at this point more of the, the first line medication for PCOS after some of the more recent studies that have been done. So Susan, do you want to go in all the pathophysiology of letrozole? I, I'll let you do that one. <laughs> so I'm a um, big fan of letrozole. I, I, I think it's an amazing drug. Um, the, the, the clinical aspect of it is it helps you get pregnant faster 
less risk of multiples and fewer side effects than Clomid. So Carrie can tell you all the, all the details, but that's, that's the important things in my opinion. So, so letrozole is really cool and it works in a totally different way because it's, um, there's a, this enzyme called aromatase that's in the cells of the ovary and there's two cell types in the ovary that help work together and they make, they turn the androgens, the male type hormones into the estrogens, the female type hormones. And so what letrozole does is it blocks that. So it blocks the production of the estrogens. So it's just another way for the body to get around blocking that estrogen and again, tricking the brain into not thinking that there's any estrogen. And so it tells the brain, make more and more FSH. So you get more follicle development. And so you end up getting one, typically one with letrozole, which is part of the beauty of it, especially in somebody with PCOS. Um, And you get that big follicle to grow. It's probably really important to mention too that if you do, if you're somebody that likes to do Google searches, I've had a few patients that have called me back and said, You gave me a drug that treats breast cancer. Why would you do that? Well, essentially, this drug lowers your estrogen level. And if you're a woman who has breast cancer, you want to have low estrogen levels. And so the, we use it, even though it's not approved for use uh, for ovulation induction. It's been used that way probably for over a decade, and it's a pretty common drug that we all use. And as Susan said before, it's a great drug, I think, because it has really a lot lower side effects than Clomid does. The disadvantage of it is it doesn't work in everybody. So for some patients, they can be pretty resistant to ovulation induction if they have really you know, significant PCOS. And so sometimes if patients can't ovulate on oral medications, then we think about going to injectable medications. And so how does that work, Susan? I'm going to interject real quick. You you made a a comment about that sometimes people are more resistant. And I also like to explain that not everybody with PCOS is the same, okay? There is definitely a spectrum of people who who have these conditions and sometimes you can be you can hop on and off of that spectrum depending on different phases of your life sometimes depending on what your weight is different things like that i mean sometimes we have a you know we'll do an ultrasound and look at somebody's ovaries and they have what the what we call the classic string of pearls sign and so it looks like the ovary has a little string of pearls all the way around it and it's beautiful i mean it's 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 a great picture. Picture. But then, and you know, oh, they may have 15 or 16 follicles on each ovary. And then you may have somebody who literally has 40 or 50 follicles on each ovary. The, those two groups of people are, are very, very different, as, as Abby was alluding to, when, when we're trying to do that ovulation induction. The, those people who have just an exorbitant amount of small, what we call antral follicles, those little bitty tiny follicles that we can see, um, they, they do tend to be more resistant. So we can use a we can either use pure injectable medications, which um, I think is being done less and less because it, number one, they end up costing two to three times as much as the other options. And that's how people end up with too many babies, higher order multiples, triplets, quadruplets, et cetera. Um, and some people use a combination of oral plus injectable to kind of get kind of the best of both worlds, kind of ooch things along maybe a little bit further with the injectable, but not... Um, kind of goes so far that we're putting you at significant risk of having a high-risk pregnancy. So you had mentioned, Susan, something about um, how people can kind of go in and out of uh, out of PCOS. 
I think one of the things patients don't understand or don't realize sometimes is that even just a, ten, a fluctuation of about 10 pounds can make that difference. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, exactly. So there, there, again, there are groups of people. There are people who, no matter what weight they are, they've always had irregular periods. You know, they started off having their, they, a lot of times they start having their periods a little bit later than the average person and they're always irregular and they, they've persistently always had these issues. And then we have a group of people who, uh, what I refer to as weight-induced PCOS. So um, when they were younger, had less weight on them, kind of had normal periods, um, you know, get into usually their early 20s, add a few pounds on, a few more pounds on, and all of a sudden they start having issues with irregular periods, increased hair growth, acne, all these things that we've been talking about. And um, there's some pretty good data that says that a, a ten, in those individuals, so people who have had normal periods at some point in their life, uh, just a 10% weight loss can actually get people back into ovulating on their own again. It's pretty cool. And in fact, sometimes that works even better than the medications that we use to get people to ovulate. So I think weight loss is really important for a lot of reasons. Well, you know, I think everybody can realize how much we talk about this all the time. We, could, we I think we could all go on and on and on about PCOS. There's so many different facets to it. And it's it's such an interesting topic. And I think it's it's relevant for so many people. And we might end up having to do like another show on this because I think there is a lot of different ways we could go with this. So Carrie, is there anything that you want to add to what we talked about? I think one of the huge things with PCOS is that for almost every patient who comes in with PCOS, one of the first things that we talk about is nutrition and exercise because that plays a role in almost everyone. And we didn't talk about it a whole lot in this particular episode, but that exercise sensitizes the cells to insulin and help can help restore ovulation. So even if you're not seeing the weight loss, keep up the exercise because it may make the medications we're giving you more helpful. Um, it may help restore ovulation on, the, on its own. You know, avoid a lot of the straight, simple carbs, the pure sugars, the the breads, the pastas, the sweets, those types of things, because it's a good it's a good way to help start restoring ovulation and can make everything that we're doing for you more effective. Well, and I think one positive thing about PCOS is I think when when somebody has a named condition, when you give something a name, it scares people and they're like, oh my gosh, I've got this PCOS condition. Am I ever going to be able to get pregnant? And I usually say, you know, of all the things that we treat, and I'd be interested to see what you guys have to say, of all the things that we treat, I think this is one of the most treatable causes Mm -hmm. for infertility. I think we see, we all see, I think many, many people who come in and actually, once we get them on the right medication, they get pregnant really pretty quickly, I think. Yeah. And we could even start calling it PFOS now. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Doctor Hudson. Well, in the way we You're began. Welcome. That's right. That's right. Well, to our audience, we I need to say, well before we get to that. We need to do our Ask the Doc segment. Oh, we forgot that, didn't we? So, we did. Okay. So we can do so, that now. Okay. So I've got the question here. Sorry, I wasn't a good host. I always forget to do ask the docs question. <laughs> so um, we had a viewer that said, hello, I really enjoy your podcast. What can be done for a thin endometrial lining not related to Clomid? Um, do you typically recommend that those patients go on to IVF? So just as a little preface, because we were talking about Clomid a little bit earlier, 
Um, so people who are on Clomid month after month after month can end up with a thin lining, which can interfere with good, healthy implantation. So that that's what our listener was kind of referring to as to that part of, of the segment. Um, just as Progesterone a, as a, can do the same thing, just to add in there, Provera, Agestin, a Mirena IUD, if you had that for a long time, that can give a prolonged thin lining too. Birth um, control that, pills. Yeah, the time just needs to sort out. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some people who just have thin linings. And I, I think that there are some people that you can manage very, very well on things like letrozole or combination letrozole and injectables. I, I do that quite often and get a very nice response. Now, there are some people who just end up with really thin linings and it takes a lot more to get it thick and you can't necessarily get what's happening in the ovary in sync with what's happening in the uterus. And those are the people that I think need to seriously consider IVF because in IVF, we literally separate those things out and they're not dependent on each other anymore now that we do so many frozen embryo transfers. Um, There's a number, you know, some people use um, baby aspirin, vitamin E, um, I know there's some people who use Viagra. I, I'm not. I haven't had to use that very often. Different estrogen combinations um, and that type of thing. But an important thing to know is that you know we all have that like. Oh, we want your lining to be. You know, usually people are like seven and a half to eight millimeters. Everybody has this warm, fuzzy feeling about that. But if you really look at the data, the lining can actually be quite thinner than that and still have very good results. So, I, you know, it's, it's one of those things we, we all get a little hung up on, but mm-hmm. the body maybe, is maybe amazingly resilient. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I think yeah. we may not need to be as hung up on it as, as we tend to be. Thank you, Susan. That was a great explanation of that question. Good job. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, I think we are at the end of our segment here. So to our audience, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week for more. And also be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. You can also visit fertilitydocsuncensored.com to schedule an appointment with any one of us and hear our terrible jokes in person (laughs) Um, or submit any specific questions you have about infertility. Um, All questions will be answered in the podcast anonymously for our Ask the Docs segment. So don't hold back. Clearly, the more embarrassing, the better. And that is what we thrive upon. The more entertaining. Yeah, right. (laughs) We will see you all soon. Thank you so much for listening. Bye, guys. Bye. See ya.